0: So last night we were exploring renunciation and continuing with the right view and right thought and the crucial role of sati or mindfulness in helping us to really pay attention to our thoughts, to know what's going on with our mental activity And mindfulness, as I uh, gave some definitions in the beginning, again, this unfortunate English translation of mindfulness as a noun, as a kind of a static thing that we either have or we don't, is quite unfortunate because in reality, mindfulness is more of a relationship a verb, a thing that we do, rather than something we have or we don't have. So when we start to explore mindfulness more directly, when we begin to become mindful of the mindfulness itself, we really start to understand that rather than being a static thing, it's a way of relating to our experience. And like all relationships, it's constantly changing. And it can be experienced and practiced in a range of different ways. And we can use those different aspects of mindfulness to respond skillfully to what's happening in our practice. So, for example, in some styles of meditation, mindfulness is presented uh, as almost like hunting down the object. So, uh, this, 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 this. This, this knowing each um, component of experience in quite a direct or directed way, almost like a computer game, you know, when these little objects appear on the screen and you have to kind of get them, get them, get them, get them. And this approach to mindfulness can be quite energizing, but at other times, depending on the quality of the mind, it can also be quite tiring, is a little bit, sometimes the energy of it can become a little too forced. so at those times it might be helpful to then settle back into a more receptive form of mindfulness. So rather than going out after the object, simply settling back and letting it come to us, uh, receiving it. So the German scholar monk Biku Annalio, who I've quoted quite a bit on this course. He has a humorous way of describing this in his own experience. He said that when he first was uh, practicing mindfulness, he was taught more of that um, quite precise and energetic style. So he said it was almost like he was lying in wait for the object and then pouncing on it it when it arrived. And after a while, he noticed how much tension this was creating for him. Uh, He felt like he was being a hunter. He was hyper alert, waiting for the next target to come up so he could shoot it. So after a while of this, he decided that perhaps he wanted to give up being a hunter and become more of a vegetarian. (laughs) And this was his uh, analogy for that more receptive kind of mindfulness. And in a similar way, that more receptive kind of mindfulness is similar to the way uh, Ajahn Suchito talks about mindfulness. So he takes this word mindfulness and has it be about letting the experience fill the mind. And again, we can see that different quality of rather than going out and getting something, it's letting that thing just fill the mind so that there's no distraction. And energetically, that feels quite different from the... uh, style of mindfulness that's usually presented in the Mahasi tradition. And this tradition uses uh, the technique of mental noting that uh, some of you were asking about the other day to help us stay connected with our experience in a very detailed way. And this can be a powerful tool to really refine our mindfulness. But it can also be misunderstood as being about pinhead focusing on the object Or at least that was how I misunderstood it early in my own practice. And I would hear the instructions and think I was supposed to be narrowly focused or even fixated on the minute details of every experience. And at times this can be a very powerful practice. But if we overdo it, as in my experience, it led to so much tension in my mind that I actually had to stop meditating for a while because it became too much. So we can experiment um, at times with these different kind of qualities of mindfulness. And with mental noting, particularly it can be useful for, um, at times, physical pain. I mentioned to, um, I think it was Annie the other day, that rather than noting pain and sitting there going pain, 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 you know, just the word itself can have quite some baggage with it. So the invitation when some discomfort arises in the body is to see if you can stay with it for a few moments, a few seconds, perhaps a few minutes, with this attitude of kind curiosity and to see if you can really refine your awareness to notice all the components of that experience. So as we were doing in the um, dyad practice on uh, Monday and Tuesday, just knowing the physical sensations as they are. And mental noting can help us be aware, oh, pulsing, burning, tingling, vibrating, moment of release, return, aching, heaviness, warmth, and so on. So you stay with the experience in that very objective, non-reactive way for as long as you can. And if at some point you realize that it's just uh, withering the mind, okay, then it might be time to just do that mindful bow and change position. And then notice the relief. So notice in the same way what it's like to have the absence of discomfort. So lightness, ease, spaciousness, coolness, whatever it might be. In a similar way, this mental noting technique can be very helpful for working with emotions and mind states more generally. So if there's sometimes we have these phases where we're aware of perhaps a, a hindrance, perhaps a, some form of aversion and we're, we're aware that there's just some, you know, kind of resistance in the mind. But again, it can be useful if we're not quite clear about the experience to investigate it a little more and to see if we can get clear about the component parts of that thing we're calling resistance. So if we tune into the body and the heart, so remembering those three questions I've been asking, what's happening in the body, what's happening in the heart mind, how am I relating to it? So tuning into the body and the heart, noticing the emotions, and seeing if you can get more precise. Ah, there's a little bit of aversion Tightness in the mind, contraction. What else is there? And sometimes, uh, because this is a training in emotional literacy, just as the other day we were training in bodily literacy, sometimes we might need to audition a few different mental notes before one actually sticks. So you might notice, oh, it feels a bit like, oh, there's a flavor of, oh, embarrassment. Oh, yeah, with an undercurrent. Oh, there's some humiliation there. Oh, feeling small. Oh, not liking. Oh, feeling embarrassed. Mm. Some kind of anger is coming in now. So you're just noticing the the subtle, or perhaps not so subtle, different flavors of the experience. So mental noting in cases like that can be very helpful to bring more clarity to the sometimes complex uh, array of emotions that can come up. So again, I offer these different approaches to mindfulness really in the service of the balance that I've been talking about all through this. So we can think of mindfulness sometimes as being like the lens on a camera and sometimes uh We just quite naturally kind of zoom in into macro mode where we're seeing the minutiae of our experience in almost ultra-high definition and all kinds of new details become available to us. But at some point, that very close focus can become tiring. Sometimes the mind gets a little bit tight and contracted. Then we might need to consciously open out the field of our awareness, more in sort of panoramic mode. And sometimes people don't get that that's also an aspect of mindfulness. So even as I'm sitting here now, I can be aware of an array of people in front of me. I can be aware of the altar just in my peripheral vision. I can be aware of the sound of my voice. I can feel the temperature in the room, the sound of the plane, the weight of my body on the cushion. My awareness is um, spread over a wider range of objects, but it's still aware. So again, just to reinforce mindfulness isn't only that very tight, close connection to the experience. Sometimes it has this more panoramic and spacious quality. So yesterday when we were exploring Vedana or feeling tone, I invited you to do it in relation to the six sense doors. So in the progress of the foundations of mindfulness, we begin to open up to include more and more aspects of our experience. So we started with the body, and then yesterday we brought in seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, and then the mind mental activity including thoughts and emotions so again uh, i think i already said how sometimes we can have this misperception that my meditation means being aware of the breath and if my mind my attention is anywhere other than the breath somehow i'm not meditating but i can't emphasize enough that there are four foundations of mindfulness and ultimately mindfulness includes every aspect of our experience. And it's this continuity of mindfulness through all aspects of what's going on for us that really strengthens the concentration and deepens our capacity to see more clearly. So in this next meditation, I'll be inviting us to begin to open up the metaphorical lens of our mindfulness to include physical sensations in the body and sounds. Because again, the breath doesn't have to be the only anchor. And if we're feeling tight or tired in some way, sometimes it can be refreshing to use sound as your object in which case you're simply settling back and receiving whatever um, sounds come into contact with the ear door, to use the technical term. And the advantage of sound is that we can't control it in any way and it's intermittent so we can have this relaxed awareness that's just a form of listening. And when a sound comes, we know it as a sound. We don't have to identify it (laughs) We don't have to follow it. We don't have to get rid of it. We don't have to amplify it. We simply know sound has arisen. Hearing, hearing. So that's a a general outline of what we'll be doing in this uh, next meditation session.